0: I have to admit today that I'm a bit of a sucker when it comes to movies. I actually like chick flicks. When it comes to movies, uh, uh, I love a good love story. Uh, I love it when the underdog wins. I love it when the good guy gets the girl. I love it when right prevails over evil. And now that may not always be a true blue chick flick kind of thing, but I just like those happy movies movies where again, those elements are there and maybe it's because I want to live vicariously in those other people's lives or something like that, that I want it all kind of to fit together in a nice, neat uh, package. But uh, there's one of those movies that certainly would not be in the chick flick category, but it's, it's, a, it's a movie that... Uh, that I think does have a lot of those elements. It's that movie, Jerry Maguire, and I would suggest you watch the edited version of it. If you watch it, wait till it comes out on TBS or something like that. But uh, as you watch this movie, you see this, uh, this man who goes through a rebirth of his spirit. Not a spiritual rebirth so much, but a rebirth inside of him when he begins to. Uh, he's living this hard-charging life with this high-strung, in this high-strung, immoral relationship. And he's just living high, wide, and handsome in life. And he realizes as he's living out this kind of maybe ideal life, fast-paced life, he realizes it's not that ideal. He realizes it's actually pretty empty. And so he writes this mission statement. This mission statement is a, is a point of inspiration, but it's also a point of contention. He ends, up losing, he ends up losing his job, and on his way out, though people are clapping on the inside, they're laughing uh, because of his bold stance for this right way to live your life. And so, well, Renee Zellweger, who's in the movie, uh, plays along and fully is captured and raptured up in, in, into the story, into the mission statement of, of, of Tom Cruise and, or Jerry Maguire in the movie, and she follows him out the door. Taking I think the fish and something else, or something like that with them, and so they go out the door and then, in this midst of this process and this rebirth, and Jerry thinking through his his life and his decision, he also comes down to this to this to this kind of spark of a romance with he and renee and and as they kind of let that spark kind of go further, he, he realizes after he totally bums up the relationship that just as he needed to be reborn in the value of Of uh, of his career, he needed to have a rebirth experience in the value of relationships. And so there's this one scene, it's the scene of the movie, it's the line of the movie that even will make a man's heart flutter, maybe, I don't know. But it's the scene when he looks at Renee after walking into the room of this anti-manhood, man-bashing ladies' group that's meeting there, and he says to Renee, what? You complete me. You complete me. I heard more women's voices in that, in that echo than anything. I've even tried to use that line some years. That movie's been out a long time. And Lori says, you watch that movie. Uh, you know, it, it, but it's so true. It's, it's nice whenever you're in that relationship and you figure out that there's a completion element that happens. Well, I want to propose to you today, as you take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2, that I really believe in God's grand scheme of spiritual life in real life, layered, in mixed, mixed into that, is that I think it's a part of God's plan for the church to be in on the completion of our life. I believe we've been talking about why bother with the church. I think that if we understood and we really saw the church being the church, we would understand its value, its contribution, and that in, in a very real sense, in a spiritual sense, it completes us. It is a process. In, it's, a, it's a step in the way that God uses to complete us to make us whole. God made us for community. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says this, "...let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith." So the concept of the church not being an institution... The concept of the church not being just a religious institution or a religious gathering is absolutely true. The real picture of the church is one of a family, of a household, the household of faith. That The fact that God created us for community is very important. Rick Warren says this in his famous book, The Purpose-Driven Life. He says this, The Bible says that we are put together, joined together, built together, members together, Airs together, fitted together, held together, and we will be caught up together. God designed us for community. And He designed us, and then He designed a community for us. And that community is called the church. Now as you think about that, and we, as we kind of continue and kind of get ready to wrap up this series of messages, I want us to kind of again understand what is Grace Point Church To be in your life? What do we desire it to be in your life? Well, here's a couple of statements that you might jot down. Grace Point Church is a dynamic, means it's constantly changing, authentic, no fakes allowed, faith community. It is built on a solid belief in Jesus Christ. It's built on, that is what we are. We're not a social club. We're not just about making us healthy, wealthier, and wiser in life. We are a faith community, okay? And this is where you can explore the spiritual. You may not even be at that faith community level. You may not even be at that point in your life where you are a true yet surrendered follower to Christ. That's okay. You can explore with us. But when you, and as you continue to go, you can also journey through life together. That's what we desire Grace Point Church to be, is this dynamic, authentic faith community where you can come explore and journey through the faith together. Acts chapter 2 is that that picture of the very first church in, in Scriptures. It's the prototype, as I mentioned a little bit last week. But I want to kind of give you to go back to chapter 2 of Acts. Uh, we were at chapter 4 last week, and we saw a little bit of the... Uh, the, uh, the operations or the, the functions in the way of the church. But I want to go back even further. And I want to look today at the very beginning, the very first day. It's the day of Pentecost. Now, we know it as Pentecost, but in, 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 in its truest sense, or prior to that, it was, a, it was a celebration. It was called the Feast of Weeks. And really what it was, if you just want to understand it in a pragmatic 21st century way, it was a party in the city. It was 50 days after the Passover. It was the time whenever all the Jews would come to the city of Jerusalem and they would celebrate. They would celebrate their harvest. They would bring it was a, a, again, a feast of week, or a week of feast, and, and they would eat together and they would celebrate together and they would party together. There was estimated between 25, maybe 30,000 people who lived in Jerusalem in this first century time period. But it's estimated that when Pentecost came and it would come annually, again, 50 days following Passover, it would come annually that, that the, the, there would be a surge of an additional 100,000 people in Jerusalem. So can you imagine what's going on in Jerusalem? The streets are crowded. Every hotel room, there's no room in the end in Jerusalem either. There's no room anywhere. I mean, everybody is probably camping on the hillside. You could probably at night see the fires that would be lit up on the side of the hills. It was one of those times when everybody would come together for this huge party to celebrate and to bring their first offerings of this, uh, of this year. Well, on this day, on this day of Pentecost, there was an amazing thing that happened. Not only did a hundred extra thousand people show up, but also God in the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit shows up. And when He shows up, big things happen. There are 3,000 people in one day who give their life to following Jesus. It's a beautiful picture. It's an amazing, it's a timely thing that God would send His Spirit on that time. And He sent it on that day. And these... 3,000 people become followers of Christ. And to top it all off, they were baptized on the same. So now just imagine this. Here you have 3,000 new believers and you have 12 disciples, 120 followers of Christ that have been praying in the upper room. But you have 12 disciples. Now what are you going to do? You're going to baptize them. What would it take to baptize 3,000 people? Well, if you do the math on it, with 12 disciples baptizing, it would require 42 people an hour to be baptized, and that would take six hours to baptize them. So we're talking about major baptismal service on that day, the day of Pentecost. But what happens? What happened on that day? Peter stands up to speak. You know Peter, the one who denies Christ three times. But he stands up to speak. This time he's got power like no other. He's able to speak, and lives are changed. And as, as he's speaking there... This is what kind of unfolds. And you've got your Bibles, look at verse 37. Now when they heard this, what they heard was Peter's message, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. Now what? What happens when, when you hear a message and you see somebody's life or somebody shares their faith with you and you say, I need that? You're cut to the heart. Whenever you sit in here maybe some Sunday and, and God just kind of like a laser You could dodge behind people's heads all you want, but God's Spirit kind of reaches around them and picks your heart and cuts your heart. This is what happened on that day. So what do you do? Well, Peter says this in verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So he calls them out and he says, You need to... Have a new life. You need to turn away from the old life. You need to give your life to following Christ. You've been going this way, it's time to go this way. And hey, by the way, once you do that, you need to be baptized. It's that wedding ring experience when you put it on, you declare to the world that I'm following Christ. But then what? So you have this experience where these people are cut to the heart. Then what? You, he says, repent. Then what? you be baptized. Then what? It's the then what that I want to talk about today. Because it's the then what, that that fourth then what, that that we are in as followers of Christ. And as I said a few weeks ago, and if you're, again, first time with us today, bear with me on this, that the the most important thing, the biggest blessing that we could be to a community, the greatest thing that we could give a community is to start a church. Because the church is the only organization that holistically reaches in and cares for body, mind, and soul of a community. You show me another institution. You show me another organization. You show me something else out there that does that, that offers that, that will reach that. So what was the very first thing that the Holy Spirit does besides giving Peter, the words to speak, and then having translators in the form of tongues, being able to share that word throughout the, the community on that day so that everybody heard in their own language. What was the very first act of the Holy Spirit to start a church? And so the then what, the fourth then what that we talk about is that God then assembles us into this faith community. And so now let's, uh, let's begin looking at this passage of Scripture, and I want us to answer the question, is what does it mean to be a part of a faith community? If the then what is to be a part of a faith community, what does that look like? And I want to point out five things in the, in the rest of this passage that we're going to look at, five things that I think really are five areas that really mark a faith community, that really should mark us. The first thing is that there ought to be maturity through discipleship. Alright? Now, just hang with me here. You've got all these followers of Christ, these new 3,000 believers. What's the first thing they ought to do? Well, they ought to repent. They ought to be baptized. Okay, what's the next thing? What's then? They ought to get themselves in a posture, in a position where they are growing in their faith. There's so much that I don't know, even after many, many years of following Christ and many, many days in classrooms studying the Scriptures. There's so much that I don't know. And it is taking a lifestyle of being a learner, a faith developer, that I need to have. And that's exactly the posture that they had. If you look at verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We need to understand that a community of faith needs to challenge you to be more mature. And being more mature is not just merely filling your head with knowledge, but it's helping your life become full and complete. It's helping that that faith become fully developed inside of you. I like the way the Proverbs twenty seven seventeen says it like this as iron sharpens iron, so people can improve each other. Or other translations put it, so as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We can improve one another when we are part of a family of faith. We can strengthen one another. I have I give people a free ticket today. Out of Grace Point Church. If you do not feel from week to week challenged in your faith, I give you a free ticket. I've had people say, Mike, your messages don't challenge me. They don't feed me. And, and there's all kinds of angles to that. But I'll say this, if you're not challenged in your faith to live it out more and more, you need to be a part of a church that does that. Are you challenged in your faith to live in a more mature way? Not just to get an education, but to truly live out that faith. Because I'm afraid for many of us for so long in our churches, we have informed people, but we haven't transformed them. And God calls us to a new life. And I hope in your Christian faith you are changing and you are growing. George Barna challenges, he's a pastor, been a pollster for, for, for twenty years, and he challenges the church on that very thing. We have had Sunday school classes and Bible studies and seminars and revival meetings and Bible conferences. Where we've informed. We've informed, we've informed, we've informed. But we haven't seen the transformation that needs to happen. We haven't seen the patience grow. We haven't seen the love grow. We haven't seen the grace grow. We've talked about it. We can parse the verbs and decline the nouns, but we don't live it out in our life. And that's the sad part. In fact, 9% of Christians, Barnes says, only 9% of Christians have a Christian biblical worldview. And 6 out of 7 Christians base their moral decisions on a gut feeling. Listen, if I went with my gut... I'd be eating all I wanted to eat. I'd be doing whatever pleases me and brings me happiness and sensations in life. Don't go with the gut. The gut will lead you astray. But Christians are saying that six out of seven of them make moral, ethical decisions on that. My question is not, did you read the Bible today? But has the Bible read you? Has the Bible read you? My question is not today, do you have faith? My question today is, have you shared your faith? My question to you today is, and not are you a part of the body of Christ, but are you a part of the body of Christ? Are you a living part of this body? Or are you just merely setting, soaking it all up? See, I want to challenge you to die. Because really the only way that you can truly live is to learn to die. Erwin McManus says it like this, only dead men can follow God of the cross. How could we ever think that the Christian faith would be safe when the central metaphor is an instrument of death? When we put on our cross necklace, when we get a cross tattooed on our arm, are we truly living out a life of death? Because we're truly not living... Until we die. That's maturity. Maturity is not how many verses can you quote. That's a step toward maturity. It's not how many Bible studies have you taught or are you in. That's a step to maturity. Are we being transformed? Is our life different because of, because of our faith? This, here's a goal of ours. is to raise up fully devoted followers of Christ. Are you a fully devoted follower of Christ? I didn't say fully educated. Fully seminared. Fully Bible schooled fully devoted followers of Christ. That's when we have a mature congregation at that point. The second area of faith communities that will help us in our lives be complete is membership through a fellowship. Now as I read, sit there and read to you a few moments ago how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, look at verse 42 again. They also devoted themselves to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And now down to verse 46, and they day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with gladness and generous hearts. They were constantly together. They realized the value of family, the value of fellowship. Now you'll never see membership in the Bible, okay? So don't don't look for it. You'll never see it. But you'll neither see the word rapture. But we believe it. Neither will you see the word Trinity, but we believe it. But the concept of being a part of a family, of a community, of a fellowship, is definitely throughout Scripture. You see that they were meeting in the temple courts. They were also meeting in their homes. They were breaking bread together. They were sharing together. They were living life on life together. I hope that you understand that being a part of a church is more than going to church. It is truly being a part of a family. It's being part of a fellowship. It's being part and in integrated in that. If you look throughout Scripture, Epaphroditus was clearly a part of the faith community at Philippi. Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the church of Antioch. Philemon was a church leader in the church in Colossians. And Timothy is believed to have pastored Ephesus. And you find in verse 42 that they were adding to their number daily. One of the best ways you can be a part of a faith community. Grace Point Church in particular is to be a part of a body life group. Now this is not an advertisement message. This is simply a message to reinforce that what we do has a purpose behind it. A body life group is the small community, the house to house community that you meet in, that you fellowship in, that you keep each other accountable, that you grow and you live life together. It's not just Bible study. It's so much more than Bible study. The Bible study, again, is not the end all, it's the beginning. It's whenever we can go and process through a message together. Again, if you look at this passage, you'll see that in verse 46, how fellowship is strengthened by several things. Jot these down. They regularly were being together. Notice what it said there. It said day by day they were meeting together. Verse 46, day by day they were meeting together. Meeting together is important. Being together is important. Hebrews chapter 10 says, let us not give up the meeting together of some are in the habit of doing. I tell people this in our North Point class. If in six months of you being at Grace Point Church, if you don't have seven people that you can call your friend at Grace Point, you are a short-termer here. Studies have shown that to be true. You need seven people that you can identify outside of your immediate family that you can call friend. And that is just pointing to the fact that we need each other. God created us for community, and then He created a community for us to be in, called the church. And they were meeting together regularly. But also, they were sharing the same mission and vision. It says in verse 46, they were of one mind. They were of one mind. Again, that goes back to last week's message. There can't be duplicitous messages going on. There can't be multiple visions going on. There can't be multiple directions. It just creates a sideways energy. Are we all on the same mind, the same page? Enjoying life together is another quality. They came together with gladness. They were glad to be together. Listen, if going to body life group, being a part of a, a small group is like taking castor oil, it's not working, Okay? Find a new group. Go find. We're about next week. We're going to start our enlisting of new groups. You can be a part. We had. We met with like thirty. I don't know thirty different people yesterday that are new group leaders. We're going to have new groups all over. Be a part. Start a group. But get into that community, that tight community. The fourth is be authentic with one another. There was some sincerity of heart. A fellowship must be marked by these things. Grace Point must be marked by these things. You will experience this in our small group community. Hopefully you'll experience a level of this in this large group setting. They did meet in the temple courts. That was their large group setting. But they also met in house to house. They didn't do either or. They met in both. And so let this be something that you see as valuable. Here's our goal. Our goal is to connect our community together through authentic faith groups. The goal of Grace Point is to help you to live as a fully devoted follower of Christ, but it's also to connect you into a community of authentic faith groups. What does that look like? It has many different personalities. They meet at different times and locations. They're all over the place. There's a few that meet here at the church, but most of them are meeting in their homes just as they did in the early church. Here's a third area that we need to be about as a church that will make us complete, and that is ministry through service. Ministry through service. I want you to notice in verse 44, He said this, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need." Now, I'm not going to camp here long because I did this last week. But I want you to see at least this part. That these people, this early church, they were a need-meeting church. We have people today from Saving Grace here with us. It's a part of our, 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 our uh, Hope NWA golf tournament that's going on. There's a group of people that saw a need and from their various congregations, they started. We're just going along beside them and partnering with them. Need Meeting Church. Went through the whole laundry list last week of all the ways you as members have been a part of meeting needs. The great thing about that is even in the second service, I mentioned that we had one family in the church that had a washer, but they didn't have a dryer. We weren't certain about the dryer anyway. Before I got to the back door of the church, before I got out to the foyer, somebody came to me and said, I've got a dryer. We're a need-meeting congregation. I want us to be that. I want us to see the needs and let's meet them, not just look out for our own self-interest and what's in it for us. Whether you're washing a car, whether you're buying a meal for somebody, whatever you may be doing, let's be doing it to meet people's needs. Mother Teresa, I think, probably is my hero when it comes to this area. She made this statement. She says, Our life of poverty is a necessary for our work itself. Only in heaven will we see how much we owe to the poor for helping us to love God better because of them. Do you realize that as you serve and give, you actually will learn to love God better? from those who you serve and who you give to. I want us to be a ministry-serving church. Here's our goal. Our goal is that every member engaging people in life-changing ministry. Are you a part of life-changing ministry? We have a motto that you walk out underneath every week, and I'm afraid that mottos can become mundane. I'm afraid putting a sign up, all of a sudden, we think that that might drill it into us, but actually we become numb to it. It's the motto of our church that every member is a minister and every ministry is meaningful. Are you living daily, not only in your job but in the church and outside the church? Where are you living in ministry, touching people's lives? Here's the fourth one. I'm real quickly moving through this: is that there's mission through outreach. And there's a vast difference, I, I would hope that we would understand, between mission trips and going on mission trips. It's not just talking about mission trips. We're talking about living on mission. We're talking about doing life in northwest Arkansas as if we are missionaries in Africa or in Indonesia. That we would live like that. Have that kind of perspective about us. Frost and Hirsch said it like this, the West must become a missionary church in its own milieu, if the church is to survive. What I want us to understand is that we are not about going on mission trips. We are about living on mission right here. We're about living out the missional life in our own culture as missionaries. Here's our goal, is to live borderless lives on mission with God in a borderless world. But there's no hindrances. We're willing to step into anybody and everybody's life and to serve them. To go out of the church. Listen, the first thing our desire to do is that as you come into this church is that you would go out of this church prepared to engage our world in which we live. Another goal is that goal of borderless living. Mother Teresa, again, if I can quote from her one more time. She said, My blood and origin, I am Albanian. My citizenship is Indian. I am a Catholic nun. As to my calling, I belong to the whole world. As to my heart, I belong entirely to the heart of Jesus. I wonder if we would live a borderless life, what that would mean. Would we be willing to go across the street? Would we be willing to go to somebody who's less fortunate? Would we be willing to serve people that are different than us? Not living with borders and fences in this world, it's living borderless in this world as we engage people. But there's one more quality, one more the fifth element, the fifth area is magnification through worship. That we would learn to worship God in, in 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 all of its in all of its fullness. Verse forty two it says that. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayers. You can hear the worship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And next week, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper. We will be breaking bread together. And we'll be praying together. It will be two major emphasis of next week's message and time together. Verse 47, though, says, They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. I want us to understand the value of worship. And as we started today with a love story of Jerry Maguire, if you will, I want to end today by just saying we're about a love story ourselves. We are writing a love story. We are the bride of Christ. We've talked about that for now two weeks, three weeks. I've mentioned that. Jesus is our groom. You know the great thing about this love story? That even in Revelations, Jesus is going to come back riding on a white horse for His bride. So Hollywood couldn't get any better than that, right? I mean, our our, our groom is coming back for us on a white horse. I mean, that is a love story there. But, But the thing about this love story is it hasn't been written yet. Every day I get up, now okay, we know kind of some of the parts of the puzzle out there but every day that I get up and I live out my life, I am the pen on the page of the love story of my life. And if Jesus is is my groom as a part of the church, then I'm literally writing out a love story with my life. And so I actually get to pen it. You get to pen it. We in it together as we write it out. Now, as you think about it, is this love story about me and I get to write my own love story, my relationship? No, it's not about me. That's a very egocentric love story. In this story, what part am I going to play? Am I going to be the lead character? No, you're not going to be the lead character you might try to write yourself in as the lead character. You might say the world revolves around me and I'm the lead character and why is not God doing this for me and, and you know where's my groom on the white horse and all that kind of it's not about you. It's a story about him. Now, the the question is is that in every story there's a villain, isn't there? There's a bad guy. Are you the villain in the story? Are you opposed to the groom? Are you in line with the groom? In the story, you know, you watch the movies and you watch the trailer at the end of the movies and you'll see how they'll talk about the grip, the person who's on the sidelines, who's handling things. I've never figured out, and somebody could tell me after, well, what's a grip? Alright, there's a grip here and a grip there. I don't know what the grip does, but he's not a main character in the movie. So maybe you today, in the story, this God story, this narrative that's being written out here, maybe you're not the villain, okay? Hopefully you're not opposed to God. But maybe you're just the grip on the side. But I would hope that would not be you either. I would hope in the love story that we're talking about of our groom coming for us on his white horse that we're a supporting character in his story. And that we are literally living out our lives in worship, in ministry, in mission. We're living out our lives in fellowship, connecting with one another. We're living out our lives in a mature kind of way where we realize this is about Him and not about me. And I'm going to live my life for that. So here's what I want to challenge you to do today. I want you to figure out where you are in the story. Where are you in the story, in this love story? Are you the villain? Are you just the grip, the side guy on the side watching everything in the story? Are you a supporting cast? Or are you arguing for the lead role in the story? And for some of you, you may have been a villain for some time and the Christian faith has not been something you've embraced. And you may be saying today, I am ready to be a part of God's story. And the second I want to say to you is that you've been a part of God's story. You've been on the set. You've been around the scenes of the movie, but you've only been the grip on the sidelines looking in I want to challenge you to get in the story and that getting in that story and become a part of that story is about being a part of a family a bride, the bride of Christ and maybe it's Grace Point Church to live this surrendered life that we sang about is the only way that God will be the lead in the story and it will be a beautiful love story where are you? Would you pray with me? Father, there's a lot of blanks to fill in today. A lot of lines on a paper. A lot of PowerPoints. A lot of facts and figures. But it really is not about that about being a part of a family. About being a part of a story. Where the lead character of that story is not us but you, God. And how we live out the story of life. The love story of life. In a way that you get all the credit to all the glory. And my prayer today is for two groups of people in this room. One, the person who's been the villain in the story. Who's been fighting against faith. Against following you, Jesus. Although they've not been Antagonistic. They wouldn't even be here today. they have just been against. Or it's, it's the person who's been a part and around the movie, around the narrative, around the story. It's been a person on the sidelines, but hasn't been in the story. Hasn't been a part of the bride. Isn't a part of the church. Isn't a part of the worship isn't a part of the fellowship, isn't a part of the ministry, isn't a part of the outreach, isn't a part, isn't a part. And we are made for community and then You gave us a community to be a part of. You it the church. So to God that we today fall in love with Your church and be a part. Help us to live the surrendered life.